I think we finally now have that primordial stew of devices in the hands of three and a half billion people that are constantly connected, much better uh, and, and more flexible infrastructure in the cloud that can understand and in real time compute um, you know, kind of what they should be offering you. I think we will all find it a little bit creepy at the start, right? It's going to be predictive. You're gonna get suggestions and you're gonna be like, wow, that, that really is right on, but it's a little too close to home. You're listening to the Skift Podcast. What you've just heard is a clip of Brad Gershner, founder, chairman, and CEO of Altimeter Capital, speaking at Skift Global Forum 2016 on a panel that was correctly billed as a gathering of legends of online travel. Also on the panel were Rich Barton, co-founder and, at the time, executive chairman of Zillow Group, he is currently CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, then the president and CEO of Expedia, he is currently the CEO of Uber, Jay Walker, founder of Priceline and CEO of Upside, and moderator Dennis Shaw, Skiff's founding and executive editor, who earlier that year had released the definitive oral history of online travel, an authoritative account of the rise of the online travel agency. As we look ahead to the landmark 10th Skift Global Forum happening this September in New York City, today we take a look, or listen, back at this session from nearly seven years ago to assess just how prescient these esteemed speakers were as they discussed the future of online travel as seen from that faraway time, still three plus years before the onset of the global COVID pandemic and six plus years from the broad release of ChatGPT, the widely used generative AI tool that has sparked imaginations throughout the world and travel industry. As the panelists in this session point out, many of their predictions have been around since the 1990s dot-com boom and before. So what makes now the moment? Brad Gershner's comment, among others you'll hear in this session, give us some insight into the answer. And we can be certain that this question will loom large at the coming Skiff Global Forum as our sessions look to tackle the theme of connection in the age of AI. If you enjoy this discussion, you can watch other Skiff Forum sessions in their entirety on Skiff's official YouTube channel, and of course, you can visit live.skift.com for more information on how to attend this year's forum for yourself. Enjoy the conversation. So I wrote a, uh, a 65,000 uh, words uh, oral history of online travel, and all these guys participated. Jay founded Priceline.com. Brad was co-CEO co of the National Leisure Group. Dara um, is the CEO of Expedia and acquired Expedia when uh, he was at IAC or USA Networks. And Rich founded Expedia out of, out of Microsoft. I kind of feel like this is the New York Giants and it's the Bill Parcells coaching tree. You have Bill Belichick in Boston, you have Sean Payton in New Orleans, you have Romy and Cornell in Houston. So. Rich started it all, Dara acquired you, Brad was on the board of Orbitz, which Expedia owns. Jay is the very successful odd man out I'm because I'm he, founded, <laughs> he founded Priceline.com, well. which laid the groundwork for uh, what is today a $71 billion company. So let's talk, and also in the audience is uh, Terry Jones, who had uh, a role to play in uh, Travelocity founder in the whole thing. So Can't there's so many there. lessons. Uh, about risk-taking and interesting stories. So 
Let's start with it. Rich, to belabor the football analogy, um, online travel is a contact sport, isn't it? And I was thinking in particular about, you, you founded Expedia out of Microsoft. You, you got the ball rolling. You told uh, Steve Bomber that you needed $100 million to market the thing, and he either laughed you out of the office or threw you out of the office. I'm not sure which. He pounded the table. Yeah. And then you tell us what happened when you uh, took Expedia on its IPO roadshow. All right, so you want the, the mob story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, that was an incredible piece you wrote, Dennis. Oh, uh, thank you. I don't know that everybody made it through the whole thing, but we thank should you. give it up. Yeah. I learned, I, I was like laughing and crying, and I, I learned a bunch of stuff. I don't know about you guys, but I yeah. learned a whole lot about our industry, my industry, from, from reading that, so thank you. I guess I start by saying the first online travel conference that I went to, I spoke at, it was in a red lion. <laughs> <laughs> and there were only like 30 or 40 people. Uh, and this is incredible what's happened to this industry. This has become a real business, you know? Congratulations to all you guys, really. Um, anyway, when I, I went to Balmer, I'd worked for Steve Balmer. I was running Expedia inside of Microsoft. This is in 1999. It started in 1996. And Steve Balmer was my boss. And everything was going public in 1999. If you weren't around then, it's pretty difficult to grok just how frothy the IPO market was and the venture capital market was. There were literally things like pets.com going public. Anything could go public. And I went to Steve and I said, you're well aware of what's going on here in the public markets. Um, you need to give me $100 million so that I can turn Expedia into a household brand name. I said, I need to be on TV. We can't just rely on Microsoft's portal, MSN, uh, to, to guide traffic to us. Uh, and he, he laughed at me, said, we don't do that at Microsoft. We don't spend that money. And I said, well, let me go public, because I can get the money from the public markets. And to, to his credit, and to Bill Gates' credit, and Greg Maffei's credit, they let, me, they let me do that. So we took 150 people in 1999, carved it out of Microsoft, and, uh, and went public. Now the story that Dennis is referring to is that this is a really hard time of my life. I'm 32 years old or 31. I'm taking, my, my CFO's 30, a year older than I am. We're kids. We're on a road, IPO roadshow going around to, to 50 different cities in th over three weeks and, and doing our dog and pony show. And in, early in the third week of this, uh, I get a call from, I don't even know who it was. I don't think it was Hafner. I think it was that other guy at BCG. Some consultant at BCG summoning me and my, my roadshow team to a conference room in Chicago, I think, or maybe it was New York. Chicago would be fitting. Um, and when I showed up, what I was met with was a, a layer of lawyers and consultants behind, uh, behind of which was, was the airlines, the executives from each of the major airlines. Uh, the least successful oligopoly in the history of business. Uh, <laughs> at least at the time. I guess the airline business is getting better. Better business. Man, right. getting better. They learned how to charge fees from us. Okay, anyway. Um, uh, so these, these airline executives were back there and not really allowed to speak much because they didn't want to be, you know, get foul of antitrust. But what, what the consultant did, what Hafner and this other guy did, was they put a contract, they sat me down and they put a contract, a very short contract, and they said, sign this or 
we're going to release this press release this afternoon. And the sign this was give away a huge chunk of my company for nothing, like half, I think, is what they want. I don't really remember the terms. Maybe Hafner can tell you. Um, and the press release was uh, largest airlines in the world band together to create a competitor to Expedia and Travelocity. Orbits. 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 We're going to launch Orbits. What was it, Travelocity? T2. Killer? T2. It was T2 is supposedly yeah, right. meant to ter Travelocity Terminator, but yeah, they, they yeah. disclaimed any, <laughs> any uh, subtle. veracity. Very subtle. So, uh, anyway, so it was like a mob hit. It was like, I'm in the middle of this really important, exciting time in my life. I'm on top of the world. I'm exhausted. And I felt like, you know, it was Capone back there with the bat. Um, <laughs> and they made the offer. I couldn't refuse. I literally couldn't refuse it. But we got together with, uh, as a team, and we held hands, and we said, you know, if we do this, Expedia will never become great because we will be hamstrung by this highly disorganized oligopoly that doesn't really even want this channel to exist. Another guy who... So we said no. So can, can I, I tell an airline story? I know no. this, is, the, sure, go this ahead. is unplanned, but um, an airline uh, CEO who won't be named, I, I joined Expedia and I'm like, well, we should meet uh, some of our partners. And I called up the office of, the, of, of a CEO and said, my name is Dara Khazir Shahi, I work at Expedia. And we, we're probably 5% of the airline volume at the time. We weren't so small. We'll love to come and meet, um, come down. And they said, oh, the executive's not available. I said, well, how about this week? Not available, um, but I'll get back to you. The office get, got back to me, said, well, it's not available in these three weeks. So I, I, I told his assistant, how about this? Um, can you look at his calendar for the next year? <laughs> and I will come down any day Come that I'll, I'll, I'll fly to, like to, to see you any, any day that, that you want me to come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not saying where. Not across. I'm not saying where. I'm not saying where. <laughs> so, so his office calls me back and says, Mr. Such and Such is busy for the next year. Full year. <laughs> there you go. That is great. Uh, another guy mistake. who, another guy, another guy who made room in his schedule for Jay Walker was Bob Crandall at American Airlines. And Jay was around 1997 <laughs> oh. or 1998. Travelocity had launched. Expedia had launched. You came up with the idea for name your own price for airline tickets. Rich later said it was a gimmick, um, but maybe tried to copy it. I'm not sure. <laughs> but at any rate, tell us how the airlines welcomed you with open arms when you dis uh, launched Priceline.com. <laughs> Well, Bob Crandall was the tough guy, you know. He had the reputation Smart. that he really deserved as the last of the great cowboys in the airline industry. And so we had arranged, we had been working with all the airlines, <clears throat> excuse me, and talking to every one of them. And we had a, some real supporters at American said, this is clever, this is a smart revenue management tool. We could use this, but we're gonna have to get Bob to approve it. You'll have to come down here and present to Bob because he makes all the key decisions. I said, great. I walk into a conference room that's about the size of this stage. It's enormous. And there's like 40 chairs. It's got its own zip code. And there's all these executives and Bob Crandall at the front. And he's like this and goes, I hear you're from the internet. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Which one? I hear Which you're one? from the internet. Okay. They did not like the internet at no. American Airlines. Okay. So I said, well, not exactly, but oh, let's go on. What do you got? Okay. And I lay out the idea 
um, behind collecting demand at all points in the price curve, creating a product, you know, and I, and I explain it very briefly, and he goes, you know, I don't like that. I don't like it at all, he said. And I explain a little bit more why he should like it, why it was a really good tool. It, it was a super leisure customer, a completely different kind of customer. They were ones who weren't going, traveling on buses, literally any time of the day, any airline, seniors, kids, you know, people who would not normally buy a specified product. And he looked and he said, you know, Jay, we would be better off if you were hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> and I remembered, I was like, whatever, 35. And I said, you're a little older, uh, <laughs> 40, whatever. I said, the is that continues. personal? He goes, oh, that's not personal. He just basically hated the internet and viewed Priceline as the harbinger. And I said, hitting me with a truck isn't going to hold back the internet. He goes, slow it down. <laughs> that's how it was. Okay. American pulled out. And how much, uh, how much money did you make Delta? Yeah. Delta made a billion dollars and American Airlines called three other airlines the day we launched and all three of them simultaneously pulled out. But, uh, but explain, literally. Delta made that much a money because billion they, dollars. Which they got was larger than the market cap of the whole airline industry. At the time. <laughs> yes. Delta made a no, billion I, like, I dollars that's a joke. working. Because they got Because warrants. they got warrants and worked with our, and tied directly into the price. But the Brad, price. tell us why things are different now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely Brad, improved. I, mean, I know. I, I, I will say that the big conference rooms haven't changed. Yeah. No. Giant. Brad. They don't smell like cigarettes anymore. <laughs> True. Brad was uh, co-CEO of National Leisure Group. Bit player. <laughs> no. It was uh, Huge. the biggest oh, uh, vacation packager and cruise seller in online travel. Uh, were you selling to Priceline or Expedia, Orbitz? Were you selling to all those guys at the time? Well, I, first, you know, uh, truthfully, there's some visionaries up here. I certainly wasn't one of them. I was graduating from business school in 2000. I'd met up with a couple mavericks in Boston who are also part of the, your great piece, Joel Cutler and David Fialco. And um, they had invested early in the travel business, made some money on a business called Last Minute Travel, which was just offline direct marketing. And I think that a lot of early internet plays were either CD-ROMs, like Rich was hawking, or 1-800 numbers, like Hotel Reservations Network was, was dealing with. And they had this idea of, of buying an offline cruise seller owned by America West Holdings and building the first cruise and vacation package booking engines. Who did? Um, it was a collection of people, what? Ron Fisher at SoftBank, oh, okay. Joel Cutler, myself, Paul Reeder was involved in that, Aaron Gal, who now runs Silver Rail, uh, who, who, who I know is speaking here. Um, and that's what we did. And it was run by this incredible guy uh, who shouldn't go without noting, a guy named Greg Davis, who is a, a dear friend to all of us, who, uh, who was tragically uh, killed in 2001, right about the time all of this was going on. And it wouldn't, like, my part in the story would not be here. In a, a bicycle accident. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, but the idea was, let's build these booking engines, and then let's go license them to Expedia, to Travelocity, to Orbitz, to Priceline, and that's exactly what we did. We closed on that transaction to buy the company. Wait, before you closed, yeah. weren't you negotiating both with IAP yeah, and Expedia at the same time? Yeah, so we Was bought these two guys. Yeah, we, we bought the company in May of <laughs> 2000, yeah. <laughs> and by um, by that fall, to show you how fast things were moving, um, 
We were in conversations with Rich to sell the business to Expedia, and we were in conversations with Dara to sell the business to USA Networks. And ironically, I think we played a role in USA Networks kind of discovering Expedia. Yeah. Um, because they asked us who we thought was the best out of all the players in travel. And so we said, we think these guys at Expedia are, are you know, running away with it. No offense, Terry. Sometimes it's better um, to uh, keep your mouth closed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, but truthfully, you know, so we ended up closing on that transaction. Um, we announced it in Hollywood, I don't know, May or June of 2001. Rich and I were in the back of a limo on the way to D Barry Diller's house. Um, in, in Beverly Hills, and, and Rich looks over at me, and he's like, how did we end up here? <laughs> um, and literally, so last story about that, but the next day, or shortly thereafter, um, Barry collects all the CEOs of all of his portfolio companies, from Ticketmaster to USA Networks. Home Shopping Network. Home Shopping Network, Hotels.com, the newly acquired Expedia, my, you know, myself, National Leisure Group, and we're all sitting in a room, if you remember at the time, um, people were worried about the economy, um, and so he wanted to have a discussion about whether or not his executives should be uh, engaged in first-class travel, first-class air tickets. Do you remember this? <laughs> no. And no. It, so, 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 so Barry says, you know, you have Bob Diener and Dave Lippman from Hotels.com. They said, Are you, you're crazy. We print on both sides of the sheet of paper. We ride our bikes. We from ride city our to bikes. City. Like, you should never, ever fly first class. And then, of course, you have these Hollywood moguls who are like, are you kidding me? How can we not <laughs> go first jet. class? And I remember Rich saying, well, you did just buy Expedia. And we sell a lot of air tickets. And like, we could probably get you guys some pretty good deals <laughs> on first class tickets. Um, and it ended by, uh, you know, uh, one of the Hollywood executives uh, asking Barry um, if it meant that he was going to ride in the back of his private airplane instead of the front. <laughs> but to, that, that, but that to close the so loop, well. yeah. to close the loop uh, quickly, September 11th happened, yeah. and then the deal never went through. Yeah. So I remember uh, September 11th, Rich called me um, and said, have your lawyer, and I said, Rich, I, I can't, can't believe what's going on. My head was, uh, I was focused on uh, other things at the time. My girlfriend lived in New York, and Rich said, have the lawyers look at your material adverse change clause. Um, and sure enough, um, That's, a, you know, that's a, a part of a contract uh, right. where if some great big externality happens that changes you know, right. materially, the business that's being purchased, then the purchaser generally will have an out. Okay. Which is topical right now because I'm sure, I haven't read it, but I'll bet Verizon's Verizon Mac, Mac yeah. clause yeah. for buying Yahoo, I'll bet the lawyers are pouring over that thing right now. To, to, uh, speaking of buying Yahoo, yeah. Dara, could you tell us the story <laughs> of how you stole TripAdvisor from Yahoo, basically. Uh, uh, I don't know. Meeting Steve Kaufer for the first time, whatever you want to say. Um, I don't know about stealing it, but uh, we had actually looked at TripAdvisor, the Expedia gang had looked at, looked at TripAdvisor, and, and one of the uh, lessons here is that um, you know, they, they didn't like TripAdvisor because TripAdvisor was about content and overly dependent on Google. Uh, and so the Expedia said no to, uh, to that business. And, and the, the lesson is people like, like businesses, and I think you've got to train yourself to disassociate yourself with the like of self in order to take jumps into new business models, et cetera, 
we failed to do that uh, in, in that case. Speedy said no, Yahoo came in to buy uh, TripAdvisor and had a deal. Um, I went to Barry because Expedia and IAC were, were separate. IAC was a parent company of, um, of, of uh, Expedia's but didn't own 100%. Um, this Yahoo deal took forever and nothing was happening. And I told Barry, our chairman, I said, you know what, I think we really screwed up here. This TripAdvisor, it's, it's not just SEO, it's a great company, it's got great you know, content, UGC, et cetera. He said, well then call them up, see what's going on. So I call up the banker. Uh, who's on the board of Priceline now, uh, asked to, hey, what's going on? What's going on with this, with this uh, Yahoo deal? And she goes, I can't, she says, I can't talk to you. Call me on Thursday. Click. <laughs> uh, so there was an exclusive period that was, uh, that was ending on Thursday. Call her up on Thursday. She said, Yahoo's messing around here with the uh, uh, due diligence, et cetera. Um, Steve still wants to sell. He had gone through a tragedy in his life and he wanted to, uh, he had his own personal reasons why he wants to sell. So I flew up to Boston, had dinner with Steve and Langley, who are the founders, and uh, we had a deal done in a week and a half. And it turned out to be a great deal. Thank God for Steve. To take the story forward a little bit, um, given all your experiences, you know, a hell of a lot of experiences, where do you think online travel is today? Um, is it mature? What are the trends? Is do-it-yourself done? Is, uh, you know, we, we're seeing chatbots and, you know, artificial intelligence. What are, what are some of the things you point to today in terms of where online travel is going? You know, I'll start, I guess. My first demo of the Expedia concept back at Microsoft uh, was in front of the then consumer division and I was demonstrating a concept and I did it in a social user interface. Okay, SUI. This was, this was anybody remember Microsoft Bob? Yep. Of course not. Is okay. that the paperclip? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, was, this one was a parrot. Uh, and Bob, the parrot, parrot. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I did this whole demo and I wasn't typing like you were talking about this vertical structure and we're too well filter and you know, fields oriented in our search, I wasn't typing, I was talking to Bob, okay? It was all mocked up, it didn't work. <laughs> but, and Bob, this parrot, was my, we used to call them uh, smart agents, all right? We used to call these software bots smart agents. Right. Now, this was way, way, way ahead of time, but this was in 1995, okay? And in 1995, we already knew that the way we wanted to interact with the computer ultimately was via voice and using natural language. And that travel was a obvious, obvious vertical industry that would, uh, would benefit from, from this. It's hard for me to believe that we're sitting here yeah, totally. 20 plus years Change. later uh, <laughs> and we're, that's still a dream. Like, that's still, that's still a dream. Uh, but you know, Siri and Echo, uh, Amazon's Alexa and Google's thing, you know, they're showing the way that I think in the next 10 years, I'm really excited that there will be a major user interface change with the way your consumers are, are planning and traveling. Even the yeah. term is anachronism. 
there's no online, offline as you move forward. This whole idea of online travel is really the end of the age of automation that started with green screens on travel agents. It's the, and Dara was talking about it earlier. It was a, the technology stack and the database structures are all anachronisms from a prior age yep. that have been souped up with, you know, it's a Model T Ford with a Ferrari engine in it, but it's still a car. And what's gonna change, it's gonna change massively, and it's gonna change quickly. It's been slow, I agree, in the gestation, but, but there's no question yeah. that, you know, the phone and mobile completely changes everything. Then you add augmented reality, you add AI, you add, you know, you add chatbots, you add continuous on, uh, connectivity, and this notion of online travel is gonna seem like a dial phone. You see phones used to have these dials on them. Okay. And that was called a dial tone. Yeah, that's all gone. So. To be fair, Jay, we've been saying that for a long time. Yeah, but look at the speed uh, at which so the So what's different, what's different? What's different is the compounding has caught up. I mean, right. a compounded growth rate of 15% a year before the lily pond is covered, yep. you know, the first, you know, five generations of compounding don't look like much. But then when that thing starts to really pick up speed, baby, that rocket takes we, we, also, we also went through this post-traumatic stress of the bubble bursting in 2000. Like these conversations were yeah. spot on in 99 and 2000. We just got so damn excited, we got 10 years ahead of ourselves. Yeah, exactly right. And I've been, you know, thinking about this, you know, the, really, the first 15 years in this industry, I mean, there's $130 billion of enterprise value among the distributors, you know, in online travel today. I think that'll be double or triple five or 10 years from now. But the, the first 15 years was really just about wiring up the world of hotels. It was about automation. Yeah. And now we sit here and there, you know, if you say, where's all the value created? I'd say, well, we're just gonna sell a hell of a lot more to hotels. We're gonna go from 15% penetration to 30% penetration of the world's hotel rooms. Secondly, it's not just about hotels anymore. It's, it's about experience. every yeah. source of accommodation and everything you do in destination, which is finally coming to fruition. And then the third thing, as, you know, as Rich has pointed out, I think the interaction, the way in which you interact, if it, you know, we have this notion of power users who now are always connected via a supercomputer, whether it's on their ear, on their eyes, in their pocket, um, and they're just gonna be able to buy a lot more and do a lot uh, uh, better tailored travel. By the way, I do think also, not just on the accommodation space, how you get there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the only part of how you get there that's been wired up has been planes, because they've got real scale, and now Uber obviously is, is wiring up how you cars. But there are a lot of other modes of transport. Rail, for example, we're working with Silver Rail, we're really optimistic. You know, rail should be wired up in a great, smooth, easy food? to use. Food? What about food? It's all going to uh, You know, I was going to say bus as well. But the, you know, th there is still oh. a lot of wiring up to a do. There's still a lot of uh, upside left in the wiring up. And sometimes you have to hit a wall before you start um, innovating around uh, how you interact with these, uh, with, with, with travel, et cetera but there's still a lot of growth left for us. Let me chip in one more, just because it's mind-boggling to me. Tra travel is, is passion. We're passionate about travel. We love to shop for travel. We love to travel, adventure, explore. And we do that with other people. Yeah. And we do that to meet other people as well. Uh, we do that in groups. We do that in families. And it's mind-boggling to me 
today how unsocial yeah, our, yes. our travel planning and, and, and movement tools are. And I'll point out, I don't know if Sean's here, but there's a new, there's a new really big kid, like a 200 pound five-year-old in the audience today. That is Sean Ryan of Facebook. Um, and you know, I would argue that Facebook is probably the most important travel, traveler sharing community that exists. Maybe Instagram, if you count Instagram as well. Sean, are you here? Raise your hand. People can talk to you. There he is in the back, just like in school. Uh, uh, you know, these guys, are, these guys are interested. Facebook is very interested. And I think there's a ton of upside as all of us begin to think about how we can make the experience much more social. What, what about uh, the human element in travel planning? You know, well, I, Rich talked about the smart bot. I mean, it, it is ironic that we're sitting here and you listen to Bezos talk about Alexa and as though it's brand new. And this has been 20 years in the making. We used to say 15 years ago, what are we trying to build? What we're trying to build this is, is the intelligence to replicate right. the right. best agent who knows you really well. Right. Right. But this idea, you know, I think there's been recently some, some debate about this again. Uh, Lola and the stuff Paul English is doing has kind of kicked some of this up. This idea that we're going to have... Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going backwards instead of forwards, that we're going to re-engage all these human offline agents to do this, I think is, personally, I think is unlikely, um, simply because I, I think the power of the big data, he knows my preferences, they know how often I book, they own my calendar, their ability to do predictive and suggestive search is incredible, and by the way, they employ a lot of travel agents, mm -hmm. um, and so, the ability for them to intercept a power user and be able to do that kind of on the fly, but really layered with tons of data. Um, I think that startups can play a role here, but my sense is um, that when you start thinking about machine learning, big data, AI, whatever you want to call it, it really inures uh, the, the, the advantages to the largest player because they have all the data, right? Elon Musk is only worried about Google when it comes to AI, and there's a reason for that. They have all the data. And you need, you need giant data sets in order for, for AI to work. Right. You know, I do, the, the, the other factor that I think is new as it relates to these messaging platforms, a lot of people associate with text and um, the, the interaction, but, but the key with these messaging platforms is identity. Uh, and with these messaging platforms, you can identify who the user is. I actually think that the first order use case is not gonna be on research, because I think that's harder to crack. It's gonna be on service. But for me to be able to message Expedia on Messenger or text whoever knows, you know, cancel my hotel booking in New York next week is a much more delightful experience than calling or even my getting on the website, et cetera. So I think those kinds of simple use cases uh, are gonna first get uh, So you fixed. could see incorporating some of those things for your own customer service. First on service, we're gonna take it yeah. on the service side. I think, I, I think the planning experience and building AI for that has a real challenge because you're gonna get a lot of null results. The, the, the AI isn't gonna understand what you say and you get two or three of those in, and it's thrown away. So I think you, you, you start with small use cases and then you expand from there. I think Personal leisure journey. travel is essentially a social experience and so it's human, I think human group booking, group buying, group comparison. Look at all the work that goes on on Facebook before you begin a, a process. Where are we going? What are we doing when we're there? It's a family event. It's a group of guys or friends. So 
its leisure travel is a social game. Therefore, the AI function is only in the support role of a social game. Business travel is a very different, completely different set of problems. And there, AI might be able to be much more narrow and focused because the business traveler is doing something more repetitive, more predictive, and in many ways more commercially driven from a result than leisure travel, which is much more discovery-based, opportunistic. And, you know, and more infrequent. It's, and much it's more harder frequent. to find yeah. patterns in infrequent much, data sets. Much more. So I do agree yeah. on the business side. And the business guys are all wired up, and, ex and women too, are expecting service levels of extreme high quality. They're expecting, you know, they're expecting stuff that the leisure traveler isn't necessarily expecting. Leisure traveler is probably going to be a lot more price-driven for $10 or $20 versus the business traveler who says, look, but my time's worth real money here. What are we going to do to make sure this all works? Brad, you mentioned uh, big data and personalization. Yeah. I, I was uh, walking by the Empire Hotel the other morning, and it's 7.30 in the morning, and I get a notification from TripAdvisor about do I want to try the restaurants nearby. You know, 7.30 in the morning, I wasn't looking for restaurants. <laughs> so is personalization, is that a reality? Are we making progress, or, or what's the story there? Yeah, I think it, it's like some of the other things we've referenced. You. You know, these things seem to have, I remember in 2000, everybody was talking about mobile, 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 mobile. And then we all started saying about 2003, like, stop talking about it. It's not happening the way we thought it was going to happen. And then we all woke up one day in 2009 and we're like, holy, this just happened. Um, and so I think, um, I think it's similar when it comes to personalization. I mean, we've heard about personalization for a decade and still when I run it, hotel search on hotels.com for New York City, I get 500 hotels as though I'm going to stay at a two-star in Brooklyn when I'm you know, coming here to, to, to speak. And so like this is all going to, it's all been happening, but I think we finally now have that primordial stew of devices in the hands of three and a half billion people that are constantly connected, much better uh, and, and more flexible infrastructure in the cloud that can understand and in real time compute, um, you know, kind of what they should be offering you. I think we will all find it a little bit creepy at the start, right? It's going to be predictive. You're going to get suggestions and you're going to be like, wow, that, that really is right on, but it's a little too close to home. And so, uh, but I think we'll all quickly get used to it. I think millennials will love it. They won't, they, they won't strike them as unusual in the so. least. And, um, you know, and I think a lot of these ideas, just as they've recycled, you know, Rich started or was involved with myself in a business called Trover, which was the social planning around travel. I'm certain that this is going to happen, right? And it may be Facebook or it may be Facebook partnering with Expedia. It will happen. Um, you know, most great ideas were thought of before. <laughs> well, guys, I think we pretty much covered it. There's nothing more to say. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. So uh, thank you very much. This has been the Skift Podcast. Thank you for listening.